Let's pray. Let's pray. We'll ask Ransford to pray with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for making this a beautiful mother day, Lord. Please bless every mother in this church, Jesus, Lord. Make sure to have a wonderful day, Lord. Let us have a great lesson here, Lord. Let us get a part of the spirit of wisdom and understanding, Lord, that we will learn new stuff, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Wonderful prayer. So last week we talked about guys shh, quiet quiet we're, we're, we're getting into God's word I want you to give God reverence okay don't be disturbing sorry this is still apocalypse this is the final session last week we talked about who will be raptured who will be raptured and we saw that those who will be raptured there will be three features about them who remembers one, yes. They bear fruit, correct? And then? Yes, Anel? He said something. Okay, who, who, who else? What's the second thing? They bear fruit. Hadassah? They are on fire for Jesus. They are not lukewarm. Remember Jesus said the Laodicean church, because you are lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. So lo those who are lukewarm, it's like I'm here, I'm here. You are, you are already missing the rapture. You have to be on fire for Jesus. You, are, you have to be passionate. Okay? Because it is only those who are in Christ who will be raptured. And if Jesus is vomiting you out, then you are no longer in him. Okay? What was the third one? No, that was the on fire. Those who are ready. Those who are ready. And to be ready means to be watchful. To continue in the fire. Continue in the fruitfulness. It's not like, oh, um, I was on fire yesterday, but today I'm just down. No, you have to continue. So you're constantly, always ready, looking out. Jesus said, you also be ready because the son of man is coming at a day and an hour that you do not think he is coming so you you also be ready okay now today today we're going to talk about what happens after we are raptured where do we go after we are raptured where do we go and what happens after we are raptured? Now, I want you to pay attention, okay? Now, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, the Bible says, For we must all appear before where? The judgment seat of Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So think of, think of it this way. We sort of um, vanish from earth. We appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Yes. Why do you ask? Right. Right. Let's move on. 
We will, Judah, we will find out when the rapture happens. Okay? So, let's move on. Nick, yeah. Okay, so it says that we're going to appear before the judgment seat, but if we're raptured, is there a way for us? I say we're judged and like we do something bad. What does that mean? Right. So, did you hear Nick's question? It says if we are appearing before the judgment seat of Christ after we've been raptured, then what if the judgment doesn't go well after you are raptured? Now, that's cutting into the lesson today. That's exactly what we're going to talk about. So, can I say, yes, my. Right, exactly. The, the Guys! Okay, wait. I am not taking any question. I'm not taking any question till I get into the lesson, okay? Because all that is happening is whatever I'm going to talk about, you're asking the questions about it because I haven't even talked about it. So, right, if you can just pause, let me go into it. Then when you're asking the question, you're asking a question about what I have talked about, okay? That's, that will help because right now you're asking all these questions and it's all in the lesson. We don't even know what this judgment is about. So let's pay attention and talk about it. He says, we appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this judgment seat of Christ is a judgment for believers only. Only for those who believe in Jesus Christ. It is not a judgment to determine whether you will go to heaven or go to hell. That is not what this judgment is about. This judgment is a judgment to determine how you served the Lord after you have become a Christian. How you lived for the Lord after you have become saved. Okay? That is what the judgment seat of Christ is about. All Christians must appear before this judgment seat to be reviewed and rewarded for their service. To the Lord. What you do to serve the Lord. That is why I keep challenging you. Don't be satisfied just coming to church and sitting down. You have to be involved. Do something for the Lord. Serve the Lord. Do something. Because that is what will happen right after the rapture. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Where Jesus is going to examine our lives. What did you do for me? Essentially, is what he's going to ask. Think about it. Somebody died for you, risked his life so you can be saved, and he comes and asks you, what did you do for me? And your answer is nothing. How it will feel for you to look at Jesus with all the scars, when we talked about his crucifixion, all the, the nail holes in his hand, his back bruised, the thorns with all the bruises on his head and he's standing right beside you and say what did you do for me and your answer is nothing right i don't want to be there and say nothing no way that is why i want to commit my life to serve the lord amen in first corinthians 3 10 to 15, Michaela, read for me. According to the grace of God given 
like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become, become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Amen. This is in the Bible. This is New Testament. Now, this is amazing scripture. I read it over and over again. I want you to pay attention to each part of it. It says, let each one take care how he builds on the foundation that Jesus has laid. Okay? The foundation that we are building on is the one that Jesus has laid. And he says, we are building with six different building materials. What are those materials? Gold, silver, what? Hay, Hay straw, precious stones, wood. Six different materials. You see, what is happening here is, it's also not enough to just say you are doing something for the Lord. Like me, for instance, I'm serving the Lord, teaching you guys. But God is not only going to judge me based on what I did. He's also going to judge me based on why I did it. And then, not only why I did it, but how I did it. Do, do you get it? He's the ultimate judge. He's the perfect judge. He just doesn't look at things on the surface. He gets into the meat of the thing. Yes, I see you're teaching the youth, but why were you teaching the youth? Was it because you wanted to be famous? Right? Or was it because you had some other motive? So God is going to look at my motive. Then he's going to look at how did you do it? Did you just treat it anyhow? You really didn't prepare and you just come stand there just to while away the time. You really didn't even spend time praying for the youth and all of that. Like the stuff behind the scenes that nobody sees. So he's looking at how I did it. And then he's going to examine all of these and put it through fire. Now you notice that all of these are building materials. They, they are the stuff that I am using to build on the foundation that Jesus has laid. Now look at it in your life as well, Hadassah. Jesus has saved you. Now, there is something you are also doing for the Lord to help his work. In whatever capacity it is. Jesus is going to examine how you are doing it. Why you are doing it. What it is you are doing. And as he looks at all of these, it determines the kind of building material that you are using. You see the building materials, the difference between them, all of them are used in building houses, aren't they? Gold is used, silver is used, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. They're all used in building houses. In fact, if you go around the world, there are houses that are made of these materials in many different ways, right? But the point is, they differ not in what they are used to do, they differ in the quality of material that they are. The quality of material. If I use hay to build a house and there is fire, will something remain? No. no. If I use gold to build a house and there is fire, what will become of a house? No. It will even become more beautiful. 
because fire refines gold and makes it even more beautiful, right? And so the quality of service to the Lord is really what is going to be examined here. For those who have not even done any service at all, <laughs> the issue is even sad. But even for those who have served the Lord, everything is going to come under scrutiny. Yes, Michaela. So because obviously this is literal, when he says like gold, gold would be like doing everything for God, and then um, straw would be like doing stuff but like nonchalant and like you don't care about it. Right. Um, so it's hard to, to put everything into these categories, but the, the gist of it is whatever it is you are doing is going to be examined in terms of its quality not necessarily in terms of its quantity. You know, it's not like doing so many things for the Lord, getting involved. So, for example, you should get involved, so you're just doing something and you're really not paying attention to what you're doing. Like, for instance, give myself, if I'm doing anything for the Lord, it's different. If I'm doing it for myself, yeah, I don't really care if I mess up. But once it has to do with God's house, it has to be perfect. It has to be with all excellence. You know, you can't just do it anyhow because it's for God. It's not for man. And that is the attitude God is expecting from us. Whenever we say, let's do this, like, do we treat that? Oh, you know how people have some attitude, movement is church-related, it's like, it's not important. No, it should rather be the opposite. Whenever it has to do with God, it's the attitude that defines the effort you put into it, Right? And the level of work you invest into it, which ultimately affects the quality of what you've done. Amen. Did I answer your question? So, everything will be put through fire, and depending on its quality, whichever, it's a moving spectrum, right? It's a continuous spectrum. So, depending on where it falls, you might lose everything you've done. What this means is, for instance, if I take, pick any mega man of God, any big man of God that you know, who you think is in your estimation, is doing so much for the Lord. Give me an example. Who? T.D. Jakes, right? Big. He's doing so much for the Lord. Now, let's assume, let's assume that, um, just as an example, okay, let's assume that everything that he's doing is, is real, really, his motive is not really to glorify Jesus, but just to make a big name for himself. We won't know that. Only Jesus will know that, right? And so that in itself taints the material he's using to build. So he, because he's a Christian, he gets raptured. We appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, everything that he has done, everything that he's done is pulled up before the Lord and passed through fire. And if based on the material, it's questionable, everything will be burnt. So it will be as though he never did anything for the Lord. And all that time that he served the Lord would have gone waste. He will not be rewarded for it. Yes, Vanessa. Those that are saved before the rapture. Those that are saved. Just so they didn't get a chance to do anything for the Lord. Well, that's the disadvantage of not giving your life early to the Lord. That is why it says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. When you say you have no pleasure in it. The evil days are days in which it's almost, it's very difficult to serve the Lord. Right? For instance, when you get married and you have a baby, those are beginning of evil days. People begin to give all sorts of excuses why they can't serve the Lord. But it depends on you, really. 
and as you grow old, like yesterday we were at the couple's dinner, and Reverend Oseamua was there with Mama Oseamua, and you could see Pastor who was walking about gum, 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 with all the strength. Now he's so weak, like walking slowly, so weak. You think he, can, he has energy to serve the Lord now? No. It's evil days now. He doesn't have the energy to serve the Lord, to jump around. We say, oh, let's go for camp. We're going to drag Pastor Samuel to go to camp. No, he, he, he can't stand for even long because his body is weak. You have the energy now. You can do something. When we say, let's go for camp, you can get up and go. But it's up to you, really. Amen? Let's move on. So now, these ones, I'm not going to go into detail. We'll do it in the part two. But just to give you an overview of the final judgments that they are. There are three judgments. The first one is what we're talking about, the Bema seat judgment, which is the Bema seat of Christ. And then when that judgment happens, following that will be the marriage of the Lamb. After that, we'll, have, we'll come with Christ during the second coming on earth at the Battle of Armageddon where the Antichrist is defeated and the false prophet, both of them are caught and put alive into the lake of fire. When that happens, Jesus sets up another throne judgment called the sheep and goats judgment. We'll talk about it in part two. So don't ask me any question about it. And then after that, following that is the marriage supper of the lamb. So whenever you have a wedding, isn't there a reception where you go and eat, right? So after the marriage, which is the wedding, there's going to be the reception, which is the marriage supper. Okay? And then following that, there's going to be the 1,000 reign with Christ on earth, where Jesus Christ is going to be the sole dictator on earth. Dictator, quote-unquote, because he's not like the human dictators. It's more of a theocracy than a dictatorship. So Jesus is going to be the king of kings, ruling over the earth. His law is going to be the law that prevails on the earth for 1,000 years. You're really going to see during that 1,000 years what it means to live with God as the judge of all the earth. There's going to be peace. There's going to be justice. There's going to be order. The Bible says he's going to rule men with the rod of his mouth. People will be forced to obey God's word during that time. Okay, that's the millennium. And after the millennium, the 1,000 years, during that time, the millennium, the devil would have been bound for 1,000 years. So the devil won't be around. But after the millennium, he's going to be released. And there's going to be a, a battle where after Satan is released, he's going to deceive some people to rise up against God. But they will be defeated. And after that is going to be the great white throne judgment which is the final judgment it's a judgment for the unbelievers those who are already going to hell before that judgment is going to be a resurrection which is called the second resurrection where people who are already dead and are in Hades are going to be resurrected to come for their judgment and it's not a judgment to determine whether they are going to heaven or hell their, their destiny is already sealed but it's just a judgment to um, prove why they should go to hell you get it? Because God is just. He won't just throw you into jail without a trial. He would give them the trial, but the verdict is already determined. Okay? And so that is the great white throne judgment. That is not a judgment for believers. We will touch briefly on 
the great white throne judgment. We will not touch on the sheep and goats at all, but our focus today is on the judgment seat of Christ. We'll look at more detail when we do Apocalypse 2 later, okay? Somebody had their hand up here, Maxine. Isn't it too hot? No. Okay. Because I think you already answered it, but okay. Um, you remember you said something about how, oh, um, the people who are going to hell, how if they died already, then they'll still get a judgment mm -hmm. that they're already going to hell. Mm -hmm. But shouldn't it be like, oh, like if they're getting a judgment, then they'll be like redeemed, like oh maybe you don't have to go to hell. Yeah. Go to heaven? No, no, that's not that judgment is not to. Um, translate anybody from Hades into heaven. No, their destiny is already sealed because they didn't accept Jesus. Okay, wow. Look at all the hands that are up. Irina and then Michaela and then I'll come to you guys. Okay. Um, so for like, you know, after the rapture, the people that stay there and like with the ones that come to Christ, where were their judgment to be? Um, you mean the, those who go through the tribulation? And oh. Yeah, and survive it. We'll talk about it in Apocalypse too. Okay. Okay. Michaela. Um, there's this guy. I was watching the video. He said that like um he he prayed for God to give him like uh, something, and then like he went for judgment. So it was like a real body experience, right? But the way he explained it, it was like he was standing in a line, and then he heard people like go like oh depart from me, and like they left, and then it, it came to his turn. And like God was saying stuff like he was gonna go to hell, but like he actually did go to hell. So like, why would God show him something? He did. He, he didn't. So why would oh, God show him something where like all of them are in the same line? If that's not what God is so why why didn't he go to hell? No, like I'm saying like, like why would God put him on a line where like people are going to hell and then he goes to heaven? Like because he barely right. made it though. Right. Like, I, I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I think so. The question is, guys, are you listening? Somebody had a revelation, mm -hmm. a dream, or something where people were in line who were going to hell because as they were going and they were facing the judgment they were all being sent to hell right depart from me i don't know you yeah. and so when it got to his turn it was like he also had to go along that same line but somehow god showed him mercy and he didn't go he barely made it right so usually those um stuff it's it's a personal message to the person Right? God is actually trying to tell him that if you don't change the course of your life, this is where you are going. You're actually in the line of those who are going to hell. So you need to wake up. You are barely making it right now. So it's a personal revelation the Lord is giving to the person. You get it? It's not something that's saying that, oh, there's going to be a chance that you could go to heaven. No, don't joke with your going to heaven. Okay? Um, Emmanuel. Yeah. And see people. Who are those like people? Who are those people? Good question. Th that's for the part two. The Apocalypse two is going to be interesting. So, I won't talk about it now. Yes. Um, you know how you said like, people can be thrown to hell like alive? Uh huh. Like, would they be like, immortally, physically burning in hell? Or, like, Good question. Good question. So the question is how people are going to be thrown into hell. Are they going quiet? Are they going to um, be immortal 
it with, a, with an immortal body in hell or with your physical body in hell? Is that the question? Or you want to clarify? Like, would they be burning like forever physically in hell, or like, like, would they like die in hell and still right. like, burn? So, so now, now listen, listen, guys. The hell fire is an eternal fire. It it doesn't stop. It's eternal. Now, the reason why those in death and Hades will be resurrected to go through the great white throne judgment. To be resurrected means to be given a new body. Right? That's resurrection. You die, you resurrect, you're given a new body. It's not like ghost kind of stuff where you just a ghost walking about. Like Jesus, when he died and he was resurrected, it wasn't his ghost. It was a body with which he resurrected. It's called the glorified body. Right? So it's, it's a body. The disciples could touch it when he came to Thomas. He said, here, reach out, touch, feel my hand. This is the nail in my hand. Reach my body, the side, and then believe that it's me who has resurrected. He sat with them and ate with them, right? So it's a body, but it's a glorified body in the sense that it's, it doesn't have the limitations that our body has. He could, we would all be here, no door would open, and he could just be here, pass through the doors and be here. Right? It's hard for us to picture it because all we know is this body. But the Bible actually says there are different kinds of bodies. There are some of heavenly nature. There are some of earthly nature. But they are all bodies. Okay? So the ones in death and Hades, when they are resurrected, they are going to also be given a body which is immortal, which never dies. That is why they have to be resurrected to come and face the judgment and be thrown back into, into the lake of fire for eternal burning. Okay? And that body that they are going to be given will never be consumed in the fire, but they will feel all the pain as when the, this body is going through fire. Do you get it? Yeah. Right. It never, it never ends. And actually, when Jesus talked about hell one time, he said, the worm does not die, where the worm dieth not. So there will be worms there who would be feeding on the body, going through them, and the worms are not destroyed by the fire. Right? So it's just like body that is dead and rotten with worms eating it, but the difference is here, they are not dead. They are still alive and worms eating through every part of them everywhere. And Jesus talked about it. He says, where the worm does not die. So, hell, or the lake of fire, is not something that you, you want to toy with. You know how, it's funny when I hear people say, oh, it's going to be fun in hell because um, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. No, listen, guys. They're like, I'm going to be there with all the cool guys. Bob Marley is going to be there. Tupac is going to be there. Like all the fun, fun guys. No, that's what people say. That's what people say, okay? I don't know. I'm just saying. All the fun guys, so they are going to be playing their music and we are going to be having fun in hell. Right? Try playing music and dancing with your hand in fire. Just your hand. Just your hand, not your whole body. Your hand in fire and try to be playing some music and dancing. If you can do that, 
then probably you can be having fun in hell. <laughs> it's not going to be fun at all. Let's move on. Did I answer the questions? Yeah, all right. Romans 14, 10 to 12. Judah, read for me. Um, uh, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is risen. It, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account concerning himself to God. Amen. So this is another scripture telling us, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he's saying, every knee will bow before me, every time we confess, and then he, he, he summarizes that and says, so then each of us, he's talking here to the Roman believers, each of us Christians will give account concerning himself to God. Amen. So what then is the Bema seat of Christ? The Bema seat. Now, Bema appears 22 times in the New Testament, and it's a Greek word used to describe a platform. Okay? Bema just describes a platform, a raised stage. You know how when we, if we do the stage, when we do the redesigning, we raise the stage, so it becomes like a platform. And that's what the Bema is. It's a raised platform, and the encyclopedia states it's a raised stone platform originally used as a tribunal where orators address the citizens and courts of law. When someone wants to speak to the people, they go on that platform so everybody can hear them. So that's where that word is coming from, the bima. That's the Greek word that is used when Paul writes that we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It actually says the bima of Christ. Okay? So the bima seat in competitive games of the Romans, the contestants, now listen, the contestants... When they are running in the competitive games, the contestants will be carefully watched by the judges, and the judges are situated on a raised seat where the finish line is. So they can clearly judge who crossed the line first. Do you get it? For the rewards to be given. So the judge is able to tell who got the first, second, or third place. Remember the picture here. A race platform, somebody on that platform trying to judge something, say something, make a call. This person won. This person followed the rules. This person is the winner. Okay? And so the judgment seat is designed for bestowing of reward, not rejection due to failure. It's not to reject us from going to heaven. It is to give us rewards. That is the judgment seat of Christ. The moment you make it in the rapture, you're in. Okay, you're in. But the judgment seat of Christ is to determine in heaven. Did you know that in heaven we'll all not be the same? No, we won't be the same. There will be some village areas. And there will be some, there will be some affluent, rich, wealthy areas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. The village worst place in heaven is much, much better than the best place on earth. Right? But, but, but you see, but you see, once you go to heaven, once you are in heaven, the only thing you have to compare it with is heaven. Right? You, earth, you can't compare it to earth. So you're going to be sad. 
<laughs> Jesus actually says, people will be weeping and gnashing their teeth. You know what gnashing, you know what gnashing your teeth means? It's a sign of regret. It's like, ah, if I had known, if I had known. Right? So, a lot of people are going to, especially those who make it to those areas, they are going to be in regret that, oh, I missed my chance. Even though I've made it to heaven, I could have made it in a better way. But can you go without your friend? How can you cry in heaven? <laughs> Sorry? How can you cry in heaven? How can, oh, they'll cry in heaven. And, and Jesus will come and wipe away tears from their eyes. Right? Jesus will come and wipe away tears because they cry. So let's move on. We'll talk about that. There is a scripture actually for that. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. So everyone present at the judgment seat of Christ, are you following? Everyone present at the judgment seat of Christ would have been saved by the completed work of our Lord Jesus. The issue here is fruit bearing, not what? Salvation. Okay? Tested by fire. There are six commodities in descending order of worth. The first three are permanent. The last three will perish under fire. Right? The first three are what? Gold, silver, precious stones. If you see any building built with stones and it goes on fire, it doesn't burn everything completely. The stones still remain, even though its beauty is taken away. But it still stands, the fire. Right? Silver, of course, will be purified by the fire, as well as gold will be purified by the fire. But those three materials will stand. Only that the one who built with precious stones will not get an equal reward as the one who built with gold. And that building material is determined by the quality of work you did for the Lord. Now, the other three, which are hay, wood, or what? Straw, those will perish like they will just burn completely. You will lose. It's as though you never did anything for the Lord. Okay? The work being, is being appraised, not the person. It's the work being tested by the fire, not the individual. So it's not like the person himself going to pass through fire. It's his work. But Bible describes it that the way it will be, it will be as though the person himself had been saved through fire because it will be so painful that after so many years of labor and working because of how you did it and didn't do it right, you've lost it all. Imagine going to school, working, making money, investing all your money, now getting millions of dollars, and all of a sudden the stock market crashes and boom, you're down to zero. Would you be smiling? No. Would you be, would you be happy that, oh, at least everything is down to zero, but I'm alive? Would you say that? you'll still be crying, even though you're still alive. And that's what is going to happen. Even though people have still made it to heaven, they're still going to cry that everything has been lost because I really didn't do it with all my heart. I just did it with half, with half of my heart. Half of my heart was in it. The other half was somewhere else. Okay? So tears in heaven. That brings us to tears in heaven. Why? There will be no sin. There will be no sickness, no death, no lack of anything. But why will people weep? Because they're in a village. When I take my life under review, I will be deeply distressed. Not for the sins I've committed. They have all been paid for by my Savior. I will be distressed for the time and opportunities I have wasted. 
For the time frittered away on foolishness. For the people I might have helped. For the moments I lacked the courage to exploit for him. This is what will make people regret and be in tears. When, you see, in heaven, on the other side, whether heaven or hell, your memory is as sharp as anything. You will remember everything vividly, as though yesterday. You will remember everything. You remember the time when you had an opportunity to do something for the Lord, and then you said, oh, but this, my friend, will laugh at me. And so you just passed it away. You will remember it. And the moment you remember it, you begin to cry. That is why I keep telling you, you must be on fire. You see, when you're on fire for Jesus, your friend's opinion doesn't bother you. I could care less what you think about me. You know, I, I, I don't, you're not going to be my judge. Are you going to be my judge, Nathan? Maxine, are you the one going to judge me? No. no. So why should I bother about your opinion about what I do? Should I? I shouldn't. I should give myself to the service of the Lord. Amen. Yes, Irina. Every sin that is forgiven will not be shown. Once it's forgiven, he says, I will remember your sins no more. Right? So when you confess your sin, he, it's, it's like when you're showing a video and that scene is coming and then to be a blank because it's already forgiven. And then the other parts will come. That's how it's going to be. It's so beautiful. Yes. Forbid, I'm in the village and um, like I said, God forbid, God forbid, I'm in the village in heaven <laughs> uh -huh. and like Wait, Judah is that a good place or, or a bad place. And Judah is in the mansion. Yes, can I go visit him? Can you go visit him? Yes, yeah, yes, you can, but it depends. You know, Jesus said something about money. Listen, guys, Jesus said something about money. Are you listening, Adasa? Are you listening? Jesus said something about money. He said, make for yourselves friends with the mammon of unrighteousness so that in eternity they will receive you into everlasting habitations. Try to understand. Jesus was talking to someone about someone who was wealthy, telling them about how to use their money, saying that if you have money now, use it wisely and give to people. Especially give to people who are likely to make it to heaven, you know. So that when they are in their mansions, if for any reason you don't get there, because you helped them, they can invite you to come to visit them what? in their mansion. You can't go by yourself. You have to, you need an invitation to go. <laughs> no, no, not hell. Not hell. We're talking of heaven. We're talking of heaven. All right, let's move on. Now, what are the rewards that are going to be presented at the judgment seat of Christ? What are the rewards? The Bible talks about them. One, he talks about an incorruptible crown. He talks about crown of life. He talks about crown of glory, crown of righteousness, and then crown of rejoicing. We're going to look at each one of these, and I want you to pay attention. Okay? That's the same um, thing in another display. The five different rewards. First, let's look at the crown of glory. Now, the crown of glory is the crown that is awarded for feeding and being an example to the flock or the church. And it's mainly a, a, a crown for those who teach 
God's word or lead God's people in any capacity, not just a pastor. For sure, all pastors and church leaders are candidates of this crown, but all who help pastors in their work, like, for instance, Sunday school teachers, like what Anel was doing this morning, teaching the class, right? Is a candidate for being rewarded the crown of glory because you have been an example to the people of God, right? In any way that you are an example to the flock, where somebody can look at your life and say, oh, I want to be like this person in my Christian walk means you are modeling the life of Christ to that person, right? So the people who are going to be candidates of this reward, some of them may not necessarily even do anything in, the, in, in, in sort of the public view. They may just be in the church, but the way they live their Christian life challenges other people that they want to be like them. They are candidates for the crown of glory. First Peter 5, 1 to 4. Irina, read it for me. Who am also an elder? Who am also an elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Two, see the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by consent, but willingly for filthy. Not for filthy lucre. Oh, but willingly, not for filthy. Filthy. Lucre. Luca, filthy Luca. That's another word for money. Oh. But of a ready mind. Yeah. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being ensembled of the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Amen. Are you with us, Chris? Yes. So, what he's saying here is you have a question, I'll come to you, okay? What he's saying here is that those who feed the flock of God, not of constraint, but willingly. In other words, it, it's not out of force. You know, there are some people who serve the Lord out of force. It's like somebody is forcing them. Oh, if I don't do it, Pastor Cyril is going to talk, talk, talk. Okay, so let me just do it. Or Pastor Isaac is going to talk if, if I don't come to the youth class today to come and teach them. So Pastor Isaac is going to be angry. So let me just show up. Right? So I'm almost being forced because of him. So what if he travels? Right? Then I'm not going to show up. So he says, it shouldn't be of constraint, but it should be willingly. Something you do out of your own free will. This is me. I choose to do it. That is why I am doing it. It's not because they have asked me to do it. No. Because I want to do it. That is why I am doing it. Do you get it? And then he's saying, not for filthy lucre or not for money. So, for instance, one motivation for somebody teaching God's word or leading God's people is money. Oh, yeah, I can get money from the tithes, from whatever the church can give me. So, like, my, for instance, myself as a youth pastor, I could say, oh, they're not giving me uh, enough money. If I work here and work there for the same hours, I can make much more money than what they're giving me. So, um, I'm not really going to give it my best because they are not really paying for my work, you know? Like, if they are paying me, for instance, for 10 hours of work, but the work that I'm doing, I'm actually putting in 40 hours every week because I want to do it well, then I'm going to say, oh, look, they are not really paying me, so forget it. I'll just do something anyhow. I won't get any crown. But Jesus knows that 
if you really want to serve him, there is no human being on earth who can truly pay you for serving him. Because God's work is the most difficult work on earth. But it is the most rewarding work ever. Because there's nothing like having God as your employer. Right? All the benefits and stuff, you can't compare it to any other job. But it will demand your all. It will demand everything in you. You have to give it your all. And that is why you must endeavor not to speak against men of God. You see, because what goes into doing God's work is more than what you see. Like right now, as I'm talking to you, you think this is God's work. No, this is like maybe 10% of the work. When, when I talk to you on Sunday morning, that's like just 10% of the work. The majority of the work of a pastor, you don't see. You have no idea of. It's only God that sees it. And that is why when the pastor is talking to you and he says something funny or messes up here and there, you don't make a big issue and say, oh yeah, he's a crooked pastor or something. No. Pray for them. You, you get it. Because the work of a man of God is so difficult, and not just a man of God, but anyone who becomes an example to the people of God is so difficult that God actually has a special reward for them. Um, Irina, and then Anel. Yeah, it can be anywhere, but the example here is an example to the people of God, right? So you are, your influence on the church, your influence on people who are already Christians. So if there's somebody at school who is also a Christian, you know it's lukewarm, but you are able to influence the person to be on fire for Jesus, you are influencing a flock of God and there will be a reward for that. Do you get it? Anel. It's not because of the reward. Or it's, not, it's just because that if you don't do it, you're fearing that God will do something bad to you. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, see, it's, it's, it's different when we talk about the fear of God. See, somebody described it this way. The fear of God is not the fear that God is going to hurt me. But the fear of God is the fear that I will hurt God. Do you get it? Because it's a fear that's out of love, not out of fear, as in fear. Because it's not like, oh, I fear if I don't, God is going to hurt me. No, God leaves people to do whatever you want, right? It's not a fear that God is going to hurt me, but it's a fear that, no, I love Jesus so much and all that he's done for me. I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want him to get hurt. Right? It's out of a relationship that I have for him. I want to please him at all costs. Does it help, Anel? So, when somebody is serving the Lord because of the fear of God, that fear of God has to be that healthy kind of fear. If it's the unhealthy type, there's a question mark on your relationship with God. Right? If you have a solid relationship with God, you know that he's not going to harm you. Which father will not harm? Not in terms of like harm, but in terms of like, if you don't follow him, like for example, you're going to hell. Or if you don't follow him, he's not going to reward you. Right. Okay, that's a healthy fear. I get you. That's a healthy fear in terms of um, a reverence, a respect for who God is. 
So that's a healthy fear, which, which is fine. We should all have that because we know God is not some weak person somewhere who would say, oh yeah, you're my child. No, he actually says, those whom I love, I rebuke and chasing. Chasing means to whip. Those whom I love, I rebuke and whip because I love you. Like my child, if my child is going to put their hand in the fire and I say, don't do it, and they look at me and laugh and they're still doing it. I say, don't do it. They look at me and they're still going to do it. I have to do something to them that will make them feel that, no, what you are doing is going to hurt you. So I will give you a lesser kind of hurt on your bum than you putting your hand in the fire and having a permanent damage on your hand. Do you get it? So that is what love does. So it's a healthy fear that helps you to continue to serve the Lord. And that is fine, Anel. Okay? Let's move on. John 21, 15 to 17. Jesus, talking to Peter, he said to Peter, after Peter had denied him, remember, Peter denied Jesus. Remember? Gabriel, do you remember? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. And so after he had denied him, Jesus had resurrected and he's back. He's sitting with them. Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? More than these. Do you love me more than these? Remember, Peter had gone back to fishing. So Jesus was asking him, do you love me more than your employment? Than the fishing industry that you've gone back to? Or do you love me more than the property of the fishing equipment that you are using? Or do you love me more than these people who are here? It could be any of them. Do you love me more than these? What was Peter's response? He said, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Feed them. And then he says, he says to him a second time and a third time, do you love me? And each time he says, feed my lambs or feed my sheep. And if you look at the Greek word, which is translated lamb or sheep in all those three, they are different age stages of a sheep. When they are lambs, as in children, when they are in the middle age of growth as in youth when they are grown as in full grown sheep okay what jesus is saying is that don't neglect anybody in the house of god all the age stages we must feed them with god's word that is why we have a children's ministry and we have a youth ministry and then the adults are also there everyone is being catered to we're not saying oh look they are kids just forget about them let them play games when they come no we teach them god's word and that's why in the youth, we also don't say, oh, we're young people, let's just have fun. No, we teach God's word, we still have fun. Because Jesus expects us to feed his flock. Yes. Okay, so what if you, you devote yourself to God so much that it's affecting your relationships with others? Like, what would God do about that? Right, that's a good question. So you defer, you're devoting yourself so much to God, it's affecting your relationship with others. That is a strong question mark on that devotion to God. Because one of the fundamental things you'll find about God is that the closer you get to him, the more you get to love people. Right? John actually put it this way. How would you say that you love God whom you have not seen and hate your brother whom you have seen? Right? So, in other words, the more you get into God, the stronger your relationship with other people becomes. If that connecting to God is genuine, is real. It's only people who are pretending who... Say, I'm so into God that I don't have time for other people. No, you're you just deceived. Okay? 
they're worth more basically that when you get to heaven that they can invite you or whatever what if like you have friends that like aren't so into god and you're like that money for them is that good like do you still need that someone that could be that for you do you get what i'm saying oh no you don't yeah i get what you're saying so should you go about looking for people that you can um give money to so that just in case you know, like, not even like that. Like, do, do you look for people that like okay like say i'm up here with god right and i need someone to like i need friends to help me and my friends are like kind of here and I'm that person that's helping them. Yeah. Do I need someone to help me in that case? Ah. I get what you're trying to say. Now, the, the challenge is, see, what we must not lose sight of is what Jesus was saying was that you should do good to all people. Because it's hard for us in our human understanding to be able to make a judgment call saying that this person, I think, looking at your life, you're going to do well in heaven. Like, probably the one that you think is going to do well is maybe not even going to make it to heaven at all. Oh, okay. Okay. No, of course, you also need everyone, no matter how up there you are, you also need other people feeding you, putting stuff into your life. Is that the question? Yeah. So, like I am helping you guys and teaching you guys, I also need to be taught. I also need to be poured into by somebody. Otherwise, how will I be able to teach you? So when I'm teaching you, for instance, I read books that other people who are ahead of me have written, so they are pouring into me. Then I'm also able to pour it into you. Okay? Nobody has everything in themselves. You have to get it from somewhere. And other people... And always it's important that you study under someone, like for instance, myself. It's really helping me that I'm stuck with um, Pastor Isaac because he's really loaded. Really experienced in God's work, has been in it for many years, interacted with so many people, I'm learning so many things. So same with all of you. You can also connect to me and learn from me. Connect to any of the leaders and learn from them, okay? Well, today we won't finish this lesson. But wherever we get to, we will stop and pick it in Apocalypse 2. The second crown is the crown of life. Now, this crown of life is awarded to those who are faithful unto death. And it's the martyr's crown. Now, remember that when we talk about the um, rapture and the various views of the rapture, I was saying that there are those who believe that the Christians will go through the tribulation and all of that, right? So that's one. Then, even before the tribulation, like right now, there are those people who are being killed for their faith. Like if you go to North Korea, or you go to Pakistan, or you go to where? Where? Iraq. There are Christians who are being crucified. Like they literally put them up on a tree and nail them on the cross and leave them there to die. Today, there are those Christians who are being beheaded. You've seen that in, on, the, on the internet. ISIS lines them up because they are Christians and chops off their head because they are Christians. Now, anyone... Now, listen. Listen, guys. Anyone who is killed for their faith in Christ will receive the martyr's crown. And it is one of the highest crowns in heaven. 
Yes, all the apostles of Jesus are receiving it. No, it's one of the highest. I don't know if it's the most highest, but it's, it's really honored in heaven because Jesus Christ was the first one who was killed for his obedience to the Father. Okay? Yes, Anel. Mm-hmm. And they didn't get raptured, mm-hmm. and they have to experience so much of the pain and stuff. Right. When they come to heaven, I heard that they're more like honored right. than people who got raptured. Who got raptured, right? Um, I hesitate to say whether it's true or not, but when we do talk about Apocalypse two, I'll touch on that. Now, the point that you are raising, what what I want to draw from it is. Those who go through the tribulation, who will be killed for their faith, cut off, their head will be cut off, they are going to receive the martyr's crown. Wow. Right? According to the Bible, it says, and there's a scripture in Revelation, it says that those who went through the tribulation, who were beheaded for their faith, who refused to worship the beast or his image, they were um, rewarded in Revelation. I forgot exactly how he put it, but somehow they were honored. I should say. And according to the scriptures we would see, you would see that those who are killed for their faith will be rewarded. Revelations 2, 8 to 10. Um, Nadel, read for me. You can't see. Oh. Who can see? Hadassah. Read for me. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna. Smyrna, right. These things say the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know that the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and not and, and are, are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which though thou shalt thou suffer. Shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give give thee a crown of life. Amen. Are you guys listening? Turn off your phones and pay attention. It says, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Jesus was talking to the Christians in Smyrna, which was a church in Asia Minor at the time when John was receiving the book of Revelation in a vision. And the Lord Jesus said, write to that church, tell them, I know what they are going through. They are suffering. Satan is persecuting them, killing them. And he's actually telling them, he's actually going to put some of you into prison, and some of you he's going to try you shall have tribulation 10 days. And then he tells them, but be thou faithful unto death. What he's saying is, even to the point of death, do not deny me. Be faithful. And when you do that, I will give you the crown of what? Life. Okay? Yes, Vanessa. Yes. Yes. Right. He denied Christ, but he repented. Right? That was the difference between Peter and Judas. You know, Judas, even after betraying Jesus, if he had asked for forgiveness, God would have forgiven him. 
That's how merciful God is. But Judah never got to the place of asking, oh, sorry, Judas never got to the point of asking for forgiveness. So he just killed himself. And so he lost his chance. But Peter, after the cock crowed the third time, if you read the Bible, the Bible says he wept bitterly. He wept so much. He was so broken for what he had done, wept. And so that's why when Jesus even rose up, uh, and the angel appeared to the woman. He said, go and tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is risen. He emphasized tell Peter because he wanted Peter to know that God had forgiven him. That this Jesus whom you denied has risen, has risen and you can encounter him again. Well, isn't that kind of unfair for Judas? Because someone had to betray Jesus or else yeah. he wouldn't have done what he did. Yeah. So like, can't we kind of understand him in a sense? Because like, if he didn't do it, we wouldn't be here right now. Uh, right, right, right. So the prophecy is there. It doesn't mean that Judas had to do it. It just meant that if you do not um, pay attention to yourself, the devil will use you. And Jesus told all of them, one of you will betray me. He, didn't, he, he told all of them. Everybody had to search himself. Just like he's telling all of us right now that not everyone will make it to heaven. Not everyone will make it to hell. Right? He's told the whole world, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. If you reject me, you will have eternal damnation. He's told everybody, but it's up to us to make the choice. And Judah made his choice. You know? So I don't know if that helps. Yeah. Anel. I mean, I don't know why I call Maxine Anel. <laughs> Maxine. Come on, you have to be lively when you're asking me a question. Okay, you know how you just said about, oh, Jesus said, if you believe in me, then da 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 da, da. But what about the people who are in the Old Testament who didn't have Jesus? Yeah. Okay, so that's a good question. Only I don't want to talk about that now, okay? Otherwise, we won't finish our lesson. So note it down. We'll talk about it some other time, okay? Now, let's move on. So this is awarded to those who are faithful unto death. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life. So it's not only for those who die for their faith, but those who endure hard times for Jesus' sake. Those who endure difficult times. You know, Christianity is not all rosy. Sometimes you go through hard times, difficult times here and there, but if because of Jesus you endure it, you will receive the crown of life. Amen. Especially those of you who get into leadership, serving the Lord. You know, it's not easy being a leader of God's people. Because people have their own issues. And you're dealing with people and you have to be, be like Christ to them. Sometimes people will insult you. Sometimes some people will say some comments here and there. That would discourage you. But you endure it and still go ahead. Don't give up. You say, oh, I don't want to give up. Just because of this other one person in the youth, I don't want to give up. I'll still go, even though they don't appreciate me, even though they're insulting me and whatever, I'll still go. And you endure it, you will receive a crown of life. Amen. Now, I talked about that. Let's move on. The incorruptible crown. This is a crown. Judah, are you with us? Turn off the phone. This is a crown that is awarded for striving for mastery. Striving for mastery. What does that mean? 
Let's see what it means. First Corinthians 9, 25. Kobe, can you read it for me? And every man that travelled for them mastery is temperate in all things. Um, now they do it to obtain a comfortable crown. But we are incomfortable. We are an incomfortable. I therefore so run not as certainly so fight, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Amen. Now, isn't it too hot here? Okay, that's fine. I just decrease it by two degrees. That's fine. All right. Pay attention here. This is important. I, I might end with this. The incorruptible crown. He's talking about those who strive for the mastery. Okay? Striving for the mastery is another word for aiming for excellence, for the best. So, look, we're talking about people. Let's say... We have five groups of people who are serving the Lord. Are you with me, Irina? We have people who are serving the Lord. And amongst the people who are serving the Lord, there is this one person who says, I want to be the best amongst them. He's striving for excellence. So, for instance, the youth leaders who have been elect, um, nominated and are going to be elected, amongst them, someone would say, yeah, I know we are all youth leaders but I want to be the best amongst them. So you, to be the best, you have to do more than everybody else is doing, right? You can't be the best if people are training for five hours a day, practicing how to shoot bas basketball, basketball players. Are you with me? If somebody is spending five hours a day practicing and another person is spending half an hour a day, which of the two will be the best? Five hours. So five hours. The more time you're spending training, the more the chance that you're going to be the best. Right? And so this incorruptible crown is awarded to those who put in more effort than everybody else. More effort. Just, just for God's sake. Just for God's work to be the best. So for instance, if we're doing a program and we can just get by doing it this way, but this one other person on the team says, no, yeah, I agree. I know we can do it just this way and get by. But why can't we just do it excellently, top-notch, this way, right? And it will involve more work. It will involve more commitment. But the person is up for it. So let's do it because it's for God. You get an incorruptible crown. For instance, we say we want to evangelize. We want to invite our friends so they can come to Jesus. And then I'm giving out the invitation cards. How many would you take? Oh, two. Two. And this one other person says, no, give me 20. Because I want to put in an extra effort to invite more people. You think when you take 20 invitation cards, you'll be able to distribute them by sitting in your room? No. It will demand extra effort. It will demand extra being intentional, trying to connect to people, praying about them, thinking about them. That's being intentional, striving for the mastery. Are you with me, Lorna? You're striving for the mastery. Amen. So, what Paul is saying here, he's comparing himself to an athlete. He's saying, an athlete 
puts their body into discipline. There are some foods the athlete doesn't eat, right? They don't eat so much salt yeah. like we do. There are so many things they don't do. Why? So they can be in good shape, good fit, to be able to win. If you pick three athletes, one is eating banku and uh, okra soup with a lot of salt, with all the meat every day, and the other is disciplining themselves in their diet. When the two go to run, the one who just finished eating fufu and banku and is full, and the one who is... Which of the two is going to win the race? Okay. The two of them are in the service. A princess and Laurentia. Okay. Yes, I'm going to finish so we'll go. All right, so the point is, whatever you are doing for the Lord, you can do a little bit more and you get the incorruptible crown. Yes, Irina. So when you become the best, is it bad to know and like feel that you're better than other people? Right, no. So it's not the best as in best. You're not comparing yourself to the other people. What, what makes the person want to do more is that they have this feeling that, no, it's for Jesus. I must give him my best. Right? I want to be my best. If I can do five and they are giving me two to do, rather than just doing two and letting my other ability sit unused, I will do five. Do you get it? And I'll use my gifting to the maximum. I won't sit on any gift. I can do this, but they only ask me to do this. Oh, maybe I can offer this other thing that I can also do to help. Amen. Any question? All right. I will stop here, and then we will pray. Now, we'll conclude our apocalypse discussion today. We'll pick it up again some other time. But next week, God willing, we're starting Ecclesia. And I mentioned that we should pick some topics. Which one are you doing next week? Next week, I'm just doing the introduction. But, can you uh, but I'm not doing any of the topics. Oh, just an introduction. Are you sure? Yeah, no, I'm not doing any of the topics. So what I need from you today, tell me the topic you're doing. By the end of the day? Mm, end of the service. End of the service. Tell me. Because I need to assign the dates so you know which day you are going to do your presentation. Okay? The topics are um, what? Abortion, pornography, suicide, um, depression. What else? Any, any social issue, racism, any social issue that you can think of. Not limited to this. Any social issue you can think of. The question that I'm asking you is... Guys, listen. The question I'm asking you to answer in your presentation is... Can the church make a difference? Whatever social issue it is. What role can the church play? And as you do that, as you answer that question... I want you to be practical enough to tell us in practical ways... How we, youth, in the youth church how we can make a difference in that particular issue. Right, how we should help. How we, what practical ways? For instance, if it's um, a problem with abortion. abortion. How, can, how can we 
as youth church practically do something in our own small way that will help to solve some of this problem? Is it to have a session with the community to tell them about the dangers of abortion or what could lead into abortion? Or is there some group that is doing something to help that we can go and also volunteer with them? You know, some practical ways that we can actually take what you say and present and say, look, we're going to do this as youth. Do you guys get it? Did you hear me? Because I'm going to give a reward to the team or the person who is able to filter it down in the most practical sense that we can take as youth and do. And they are going to be awarded during our youth day. Okay? So next week, I'll do the introduction. The following week, one of you will do the presentation. Now, let's summarize the apocalypse. Everything that we have heard on the apocalypse is meaningless if you don't know Jesus. If you are not going to be raptured, if you are going to miss it, you, it's pointless, everything we've talked about. You have to make sure that you will not miss the rapture. If your Christian work is here and here, like you know that you are not on fire, you are lukewarm. They are not going up. Right, that's fine. Let them go. We're going to pray and go join them. I want you to think seriously about your relationship with God. Don't take it lightly. Amen. Let's bow down our heads as we pray. Bow down your heads. Let's pray. Put off your phones, we're praying. Put your phones off, we're praying. Talk to God, tell him you want him to set your heart on fire for him. You want to know him. You want to, you want to be serious for him. To set your life in order for him. To set your heart on fire for him. You want to serve him with every gift in you. You don't want any gift to go unused. Every talent that he has placed inside you. Just talk to him. Say, Jesus, I want to use it all for you. I don't want anything to sit unused. I want to serve you with my whole life. Thank you, Jesus, for your ministry to us today. Let your word continue to speak loudly in our hearts until every part of us becomes one with you in your great work for the redemption of mankind. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.